not really a connection with uh, Arabic culture as well. Like I, I find that I connect much closer with an Assyrian from Turkey or from Syria yeah. than I do with an Assyrian, uh, with an Arab, sorry, from Iraq. G'day in Shlamalochen. My name is Ninos Kanya, and in today's episode 175 of the Assyrian podcast, we get to hear from the president of the Assyrian Students Association of Australia, Mr. Barsin Oshana. Now, I've known Barsin for about three years through our activities at the Assyrian Australian Association, and at 24 years of age, I haven't met a more effective young leader in our nation today. With no Assyrian student representation at universities in Australia for a while, Barsin set up a network of groups from scratch, and today he's growing it to be a pretty cool place to express our Assyrianism on campus. Now, we've had some great chats in real life, and I'm delighted to be letting you all in on another one of them. Barsin and I both deeply love our Assyrian nation, and we talk about just that. What's it like being an Assyrian nationalist in the 21st century when we all live in the diaspora? When host country assimilation has taken hold, losing our grip of the language, dissolving into the cultures of our host country, when we don't have our own country, it's a burning fear in the heart of many Assyrians. These are all things we talk about. Sounds fun, huh? (laughs) But, you know, they're really important to talk about and not deny. Nations exist because they're a meaningful collective identity of of a group of people. Given our language, customs, shared ethnicity, we deserve the same. And Barsin works tirelessly to ensure that any young Assyrian can be proud and manifest their love of, of nation. On that topic, you can show your love for your nation by sponsoring us. We're looking for sponsors. If you or your business are interested... Contact us at info at assyrianpodcast.com. Also, you can show the world your love of our Assyrian nation by browsing our shop. When you go to assyrianpodcast.com, click on the little hamburger button in the upper left-hand corner, tap or click shop, and take your pick, t-shirts, sweatshirts, complete with our awesome logo. So, while you're browsing the store, I present Barsin Oshana. Enjoy. Barsin, how's it going? Yeah, good Ninos. Yeah, good, mate. <laughs> That's good. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. We're at uh, my place. You came over. Yeah. Hope you enjoy the breakfast. Beautiful breakfast. <laughs> Liz made a great breakfast. Yeah, um, my wife. Yeah. Beautiful place as well. Yeah, and, and you saw Bruni. Little Theo. Little Theo. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. It's adorable. That's good, mate. So, so good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Obviously, um, like we've both been very busy. You with a little one. Yeah. And me with work and whatnot and kind of the work we're doing in the community. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's good to catch up with you. That's good. I wanted to talk you, I wanted to talk with you about the work. You've done a lot. I deleted my Instagram. Yeah. I don't have it. But last time I was on Instagram, I saw a ton of, of work that, that you guys did. So tell me about the org. Yeah. So currently I'm the president and co-founder of the Assyrian Students Association of Australia. Um, so if people aren't aware, we 
we were founded in 2022 as kind of like an overarching organization for Assyrian, Assyrian students in Australia. Kind of the story started a bit earlier in 2019. It started at the University of New South Wales. So um, I was studying back then. I was doing civil engineering at the University of New South Wales. Mohandas. Mohandas, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and... While I was studying, I had a friend as well in the same cohort as me, another Assyrian. What's and his he, name? His name's Richard. Richard? Yeah, Richard Yelda. Richard Yelda, yeah. So he's also involved in the... Um, he's in the AAS. Assyrian yes, Society. that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So he's involved with the Aid Society as well, or Odurana, as we say in Sordid. And so he kind of came up with the concept that we should be starting in the Syrian Students Association. Uh, we saw that there were other fellow cultural organizations, such as the Armenians, Greeks... We saw the Italians, for example, basically every other cultural ethnicity had their own student association and the one which were lacking were Assyrians. They do it. We can too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of the mentality we have to adopt as well. It's possible for us to organize. I noticed as well, a lot of Assyrians were kind of delving and if they wanted to get involved in student societies, they were joining the Lebanese student society, for example, because it, really? it was kind of close to Assyrian. That's the closest you can get. Right. Um, and so there wasn't really a, an avenue or space for Assyrians to kind of congregate and organize events together. Like make kebabs with your own people. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and even just interacting with your own people and having cultural events. And I think in 2019, after founding it, probably the best part was having intercultural events with other groups. So for example, would have cultural stalls at the uni and the uni as well, like a big, I have to give credit to them because they have a great uh, society culture as well, the university. All uh, of them or just University of New South Wales? New South Wales, I can speak, I can speak on this of Wales's part. Um, the other universities, I don't know how great their um culture is when it comes to societies but definitely <laughs> mine wasn't <laughs> <laughs> i went to macquarie yeah so we've got we've got a branch there now but relative to us i don't think it's um yeah. as developed yeah um it's the kind of place you just drive into like so in the states i know that you often go to university somewhere far away and you'll stay somewhere you'll stay in a frat or a dorm and um, you know, you, you, you'll just partake in university life there. But in Australia, you, you stick to the city that you, you're born in and you live in and you more or less die in. Yeah. You're either Sydney or Melbourne yeah. or in, in a rare case, Brisbane or some other city. And I went to Macquarie University in, New, in Sydney and you just drive into the university. And in Sydney, quite often, you just drive into campus, do your work and then GTFO. That's right. Out. And just go home. Yeah. Yeah. It's rare for, I found it rare for Assyrians or really anyone else in Sydney, for example, to move out of home mm. for university. It's also uh, really unaffordable. It is. It is very unaffordable. And usually only internationals or Australians with a greater capacity could, could manage to do so. Yeah. Uh, but I've seen in the States and just kind of on the internet, I've seen Assyrians being able to kind of live outside of home, live at university. Um, I don't know how the circumstances there. It just seems like it's a more common thing relative to Assyrians here in Sydney mm. um, in terms of living out of home, living on campus. Living on a dorm's cheaper in the States. It's okay. about 800 bucks a month, the rent. Yeah, we're sure. paying much more rent over here, <laughs> much more. Yeah, and it's only an hour Probably train double. ride. You can't really... Um, 
Yeah, it's a one hour yeah. train ride. Yeah. I used to drive. It was yeah. a 30 minute drive for me. So that's why I was walking. It was drive in, drive out. And so there wasn't much campus life. You, you just go in, do, the, do your work, do your studies and then get out. And there wasn't really a, a need to, to hang around. Yeah. Plus everyone has a lot of other commitments and whatnot as well. Mm. Quite a lot of people would go to the gym, for example. They've got jobs, part-time jobs that they're working in, that they're balancing with their studies. So obviously it gets quite busy, but when you put in the commuting as well, it just kind of, kind of makes it unbearable to get involved in student activities. Yeah. I've got to say, when I went to uni, there was absolutely no Assyrian organization. But I will say that in the 90s, there was. And it was called TAS, the Assyrian Australian Academic Society. Yeah. And that was run out of Macquarie Uni, the, the uni that I went to. And that had... I don't know much about the history. Do you? TAS, not, not so much. I think it was before my time okay um, I'd heard about it it's before my time too I mean I was in high school when it was still around but by the time I got to uni it wasn't really there it kind of folded afterwards I think so yeah yeah I know they I believe they had a conference as well kind of a Syrian related academic conference mm-hmm. in Sydney so it served a good purpose but obviously that's kind of the um, the case for a lot of our organisations they will start it up and eventually will die out for whatever reason um, Why is that? It's there has to be a clear vision as well with anything Assyrian related. Um, I found a lot of our organization or organizations, sorry, don't have a clear vision of where they want to end up, um, what they want to achieve. Um, I think with the student association that I'm involved in, it's quite quite clear what we want to do. We want to obviously expand to wherever Assyrians are in Australia. So whether it's Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, wherever city they're in, whatever university they're attending, if we've got a small community of Assyrians that can congregate and create a society, then we've got the opportunity to do so. And we want to kind of get Assyrian youth involved as well, kind of get Assyrian youth together because I've seen personally in my generation, we're quite apathetic to our cause. A lot of us are born here and there's no country to relate to. There's no Assyria that exists as a recognized state. Uh, so it's quite difficult as well to try to fit in because mm-hmm. a lot of people will uh, say, well, you're Iraqi, for example. A lot of my friends I grew up with were Iraqi Arabs and they'll come up to me and say, you're Iraqi, for example. But you don't connect with that. I don't connect with it at all. I wasn't, Do you speak Arabic? I can't speak Arabic. Yeah. You know, maybe a few words, yeah. shonek, get, um, get yourself through a restaurant menu. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This, <laughs> Automazguf and that's it. There's not really much like <laughs> yeah. understanding of um, Arabic and not really a connection with uh, Arabic culture as well. Like I, I find that I connect much closer with an Assyrian from Turkey or from Syria. Yeah. Than I do with an Assyrian uh, with an Arab. Sorry, from Iraq. Yeah. Although Iraqi Arabs, I'm, I feel much closer with than other Arabs, like say Lebanese Arabs, for example. You know what burns me when I have friends that go to their countries for summer. Yeah. Like it's it's June and then they're going to Greece. They're going to their ancestral And we don't have the opportunity to do so. We can't do that. Yeah. Well, it's not... We, we can still visit, but it's not our own country. And because they have their own country and because they have the institutions and, and, and the cultures preserved in that country, they don't have the hang-up here in Australia. They, they just... They do what they do here. They, they blend in as much as they can and, yeah. and they don't have to worry about their culture. They don't there's feel like no there's an obligation no. to kind of save their dying culture. they've got a country. <laughs> that's right, yeah. They've got a state that's protecting their culture, that's mm. 
governing over their own people. So their own people have got safety, for example. Um, their own people can practice their culture freely. They can practice their own faith freely. Mm. Um, and that's what we lack, right? And it's obviously the case, like back to the example, I had Iraqi Arab friends growing up and they'll always say, you're Iraqi. And I'd say, I wasn't born in Iraq. I can't speak Arabic. I'm much closer to Assyrians from other countries such as Syria than I am with other Iraqis, for example. Yeah. So I never really associated or identified with being Iraqi. And that kind of created a uh, an issue growing up because then people would ask, what country are you from? And you'd say, well, I'm from Iraq. And they'd say, well, you're Iraqi then. Well, I'd say, no, my parents are from Iraq. But if you look closely at your history and for a lot of people listening to this podcast, say, for example, my grandfather from my dad's side, my paternal grandfather was born in Iran, in modern day Iran. And he had to flee his village um, in 1917 or 1918, sorry, due to SAFO, due to the Assyrian genocide. And they ended up in Iraq afterwards. And likewise, from my mother's side, my great-grandfather was born in Turkey, Mm -hmm. in Hakkari, in modern day Turkey. So by that same token, we've only been Iraqi for maybe one or two generations. Right. Um, And now we're Australian. Now my parents as well, they've moved to Australia. consciously as well they never were forced to move out it was They've, a choice it was a choice to move out and as well for a lot of Assyrians kind of going off on the tangent we'll kind of say we're driven out and whatnot but quite a lot of us and we have to be honest with ourselves quite a lot of us were economic migrants yep yep and I've heard stories as well quite a lot lied about their situation to get here and I can't go and judge them because I didn't obviously go through that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a few things we have to accept and take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. So the whole purpose of creating the Assyrian Students Association was to really just get a place for young Assyrians to hang out when they're at uni. Yep. Is there something more than that? There, there is. So that's one of the... Uh, kind of one of the goals and um, functions of the student association, but it's also for us to kind of work together and understand our cause and our culture much, much better. So the way I see it, it's a good way for us to congregate together, to work on events. Like we had a, a Syrian Martyrs Day event recently. And I think what it did was it allowed us as Syrian students to understand why Martyrs Day was so important unless you're involved in organizing these things and actively trying to understand what it is, then you will never grasp what it means for an Assyrian to sacrifice their lives for this cause, for our nation. Um, so it serves a greater purpose in my my opinion. And also it's a great stepping stone to get involved in other Assyrian organizations. So the way I see it, you join university, you want to kind of get involved, say you're studying an arts degree or a law degree and you go, I want to get a bit more involved in the community, get a few extracurriculars as well, um, which is normal, especially for jobs as well. Um, When you apply for jobs, they look for extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, it will kind of get you involved in the Assyrian cause and you can branch off. Maybe you're an artsy person. You'll get involved in the Assyrian art side, right? Maybe you're more political, political and you want to get involved in the Assyrian political side kind of our activism mm-hmm. um, and each person serves a benefit but the student associations are kind of unifying organization where people can kind of get introduced to the Assyrian cause mingle with their community their local community and have fun and the way I see it as well it's not a organization where you're shunning yourself from the rest of the Australian community we were actively holding intercultural events would say the Lebanese society for example kind of showing them 
who we are and who cooks the better kebabs who cooks the better kebabs <laughs> but from there people can understand who we are right they can understand who Assyrians are you probably told me why youth need to get involved but why do they need to be involved in an Assyrian association and it's such a simple question right like okay I'm Assyrian I just take it for granted but to join an Assyrian association when you're at uni, when you're, when you're young, I mean, you can just go to church, can't you? So that's kind of a misconception that we have, right? Um, we kind of morph the two together and there has to be this distinct, distinct distinction between the two. So you could be- What's a, the two? Between say, being involved in the church mm-hmm. and kind of being involved in more the national cause. Right. And it's not saying you can't be involved in both. You can certainly be involved in both. But it's just saying you have to separate the two. So say I go to church and I volunteer my local church and we have a stall or something. We sell harissa, for example. Yeah. That's me helping out my church, right? It's not me helping out my nation. It might help out people from my nation that belong to that church, right? but that's indirect. Um, so we just have to make sure we understand the distinction because we kind of morph the two together. Because we're a nation of more than one church. That's right, yeah. And if you look traditionally... We have the Assyrian Church of the East, the Ancient Church of the East, uh, the Chaldean Catholic Church, the Syriac Orthodox Church, and the Syriac Catholic Church, for example. Mm-hmm. And even then you have Presbyterians, Evangelicals, you have atheists, mm-hmm. you've got um, Assyrian Jews, and you've also got even Assyrian Muslims. Mm-hmm. So there are Assyrians. Um, what happened there? Sorry, I think that was Siri. Uh, you've got a Siri. Siri, push <laughs> You've got Assyrians as well in Turkey, Southeast Turkey, who were kidnapped as kids. Yeah. Um, and they were raised and they've been converted to Islam, for example, but they still identify with their Assyrian culture. Right. Um, so we're a, we're a nation of many different denominations and many faiths, but the one unifying feature we have is that we're all, we're all Assyrian, right? Yeah. We all have that one common language, sort of. Um, we all share a geographical um, connection to our homeland, Assyria. Mm-hmm. And that's one important thing as well. We, not to go off on another tangent, but we love. Yeah, we'll go off on tangents. We love to call our homeland um, Atara, for example. Right. Um, it, it just means homeland or country. Yeah. Right. Um, but we have to be a bit more specific about what we're calling our country. I mean, when I hung around and spoke to a lot of uh, Kurds and Palestinians, they would often go to me and say, I'm from Palestine, I'm from Kurdistan. Um, They'll never say, like a Kurd will never go to me, I'm from Iraq, I'm from Iran. I'd say I'm from Kurdistan. And it's, yes, it is a region in Northern Iraq, but it's not an official country. Correct. But because they say it's Kurdistan, people believe them. They say, they see them as a legitimate group that have a homeland because they call themselves Kurdish and they speak the Kurdish language that's right yeah I've never met a Kurd and I'm sure there are I've never met a Kurd that says they're Muslim before they're Kurdish for example yep Um, and I've never met a Palestinian that says they're Muslim before they're Palestinian it kind of says I'm Palestinian yep that's my nationality yep Um, and so we have to make the distinction because I think something common for Assyrians they'll say that they're Christian yeah they'll say um, I'm Iraqi Christian I'm Iranian Christian, I'm Syrian Christian, but that's just denoting your faith. You could be Iraqi Christian and you could be Arab. You could be Iraqi Christian and Armenian. Yeah. You it says be... nothing about your ethnicity. That's right. Yeah. It has your nationality, which is Iraqi. And for a lot of Assyrians growing up in the diaspora, 
they're not even Iraqi. Yeah. They're not even born in Iraq. So technically, your nationality is not even Iraqi. It's either Australian, American, um, or to whatever country you belong to Correct. in Europe. Um, so that distinction has to be made. Be proud that you're an Assyrian from Assyria, right? You can be an Assyrian Christian, just as you can be an Assyrian atheist. You can be an Assyrian Jew. But the one thing that we have in common um, that kind of binds us together, regardless of our faith, is that we're Assyrian. Lishana. Language as well. Yeah. Custom. Existence, yeah. I was going to ask, a lot of people around me my age, I'm millennial. I'm in my late 30s. You wouldn't have known, right? No. I don't know what generation I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, a lot of people in my generation, they simply don't care. They simply don't care about being a Syrian. And why do you think that is? I don't know. I'm going to ask you. Uh, Well, for your generation, you probably know better. But um, in terms of my generation, I think obviously growing up in the diaspora as well, we've kind of been accustomed to our Australian culture, for example. You're Gen Z, right? I believe so, yeah. I believe so. I'm not entirely sure. 99 born, so. Oh, you were born in 99? Yeah. Just on the turn of the century. Yeah. Which century? Uh, Oh, this one? Yeah. Last one. Yeah. Gen Z. Yeah. Deaf. Yeah. Gen Z. And with, with us, I think there's kind of a gap between a lot of us and our parents who came from our, our homeland, from Assyria. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, people want to fit in, right? People move to a new country and and we don't have a country of our own. So it's hard to relate to anything. Because if, if you say I'm Iraqi, people assume you're Arab or you're Muslim. Yeah. And they have to go and explain that, no, I'm not Arab or Muslim or Assyrian. And then they go, what's that? And then it goes into a whole thing. So people try to avoid that. They tr- just want to fit into society. Wherever they are, they want to fit in. But I think there's no harm in being proud of your being proud of your ethnicity, being proud and saying you're Assyrian upfront, mm. and explaining to them that we're from Assyria, for example, and they can say where is Assyria, and you can say well it encapsulates parts of Iraq, Iran, Syria, and Turkey. Mm. How many of your members are not born here, or are they all born here? I'd say no. We still have a few Assyrians that were born in Iraq um, or Syria, for example. Mm-hmm. I can think of a few on the top of my head that came from Iraq or Syria um, relatively recently as well. Um, and I found they're more proud of their um, ethnicity compared to the Assyrians born here. Mm-hmm. The ones born here, there's also an, a, kind of a misconception where they look at the ones coming here as TTs or Tazatile. Yeah. Um, imports or they call them FOBs, I think. Yeah. Fresh off the boat in other countries. Uh-huh. And that's kind of like a chauvinistic attitude to have as well. It's, it is. I'm better than you because I was born in this country yeah, and you came from another country. It's rubbish. Um, but it's usually the ones that came from our homeland, from Assyria, that are usually more proud from what I found. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an anecdote um, that I found. Mm. But the ones born here, they just don't care at all. A lot don't care about their ethnicity. What do you think it is, Ninos? I don't know. I, I feel like it's uncool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. People are just concerned about themselves. I think as well as reading a statistic in Australia from the last census saying that volunteering has reduced Mm. by uh, like a large proportion. So Mm -hmm. people are becoming a bit more individualistic, kind of caring less about the community, more about themselves. I think that's a feature of... of Western society. No, particularly Anglosphere. So Mm. US, UK, Canada, Australia... New Zealand. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's a feature of those societies. I still kind of don't see that in Europe. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't speak that, for your response. That rampant part, individualism. Yeah, and it's it's kind of taken a toll on our national cause as well because people are caring less about other Assyrians who they, they don't know mm. because these causes are they're much greater than ourselves, right? The ideals that we're going after is for a person that you don't necessarily know. Right, so if you're involved in the Assyrian Association, you're trying to progress your nation. A lot of people who you've never met, yeah, right. But it's for that greater cause. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people ignore that. They just care. They just care mostly about themselves, yeah. about their own living. All right, I've got a whole day. I'm going to go visit Europe, for example. Yeah, right. So I met a lot of Assyrians, and I'll ask them, "Do you ever think of visiting Assyria?" And they go, "No. Why would I visit there?" And I'd say, "Aren't you curious at all about your lineage, about where your parents are from?" Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of how they got here. A lot don't really care. They just want to go party in Mykonos yeah. or Ibiza. Um, and at the same time, I can understand why, they, why they're apathetic. Imagine you're a group that's been persecuted for this long. You don't have a country. It's kind of a way to process process what's been happening to us. Yeah. But we have to kind of really channel that apathy into something more productive. How do you do that? Because you've got the ASA. How many members do you have? Oh, off the top of my head, I, actual... AS well, how's it organized? You've got so we've got a central committee, mm-hmm. um, an overarching organization. So you could be a recent graduate within five years and be involved in the association as well. And you can also be involved in the branches. So we started off at the University of New South Wales, and shortly after that year, they uh, a few other Syrians created a branch at the University of Sydney, mm-hmm. and from there, kind of spiraled into up to four. We've got four branches now. Yeah, at the uh, Australian Catholic University. And also at Macquarie University, where you where you attended. Yeah, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And so, you can be a member of these branches, or you can be a member of the overarching organisation. We had roughly fifty members in our first year mm-hmm. for the overarching organisation, uh, which I found was quite positive, because at the same time we're only kind of catering for Australian students, and emphasising that that presence at universities and that academic nature. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of Assyrian youth as well that didn't go to uni, uni, for example, like quite a lot of my friends. And they're, they're in it? They're, they come to some events, but at the same time, they're not involved because they're not a student. But we do have other Assyrian youth organizations um, like Axia, for example. Uh-huh. Assyrian... Uh, Cultural and Social Cultural Youth Association. Social youth Association. That's correct, yeah. I remember that stood for something else. Yeah, so before it was a, <laughs> a Syrian Chaldean Syriac, Syriac youth, uh, youth Association, Association, and they've changed the name and... And what I found about the try name is it's quite interesting because we try to be as inclusive as possible. And there are a lot of Assyrians that don't necessarily identify as being Assyrian. Um, and you would know Ninos growing up, there's quite a lot of people that say I'm Chaldean, for yeah, example. It really, I'm that, uh, Syriac, Aramean. Because it's the name of your church. Yeah. But a lot of people grew up hearing that from their parents. Um, it's, like a, it's like you meet a German guy and he says, Hi, Hans, are you German? No. I'm Lutheran. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty <laughs> much the same. And Germans are the same. They've got Catholics, they've got Lutherans, yeah. they've got whatever denomination. Exactly. What I found is this trinome has been more harmful than positive for our nation. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is the one reason I disagree with it is it says Assyrian, Chaldean, Syriac. And I can never agree with something that says Assyrian, Chal- kind of bunches the Assyrian name, which is secular. Mm-hmm which is inclusive of all denominations mm-hmm. with sectarian names such as Chaldean or Syriac. Yeah. So if you want to, if we want to include Chaldean Syriac, well, I'm a member of the Church of the East, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to call myself an historian and 
why don't we call ourselves Nestorians, Chaldeans, Jacobites? Because... To keep it uniform with the sectarian names. I'll, I'll tell you about Nestorians and I'll tell you about Chaldean as well. They're both names put on us by foreigners. That's right. That's right. And that Nestorian label, if I recall correctly, and probably some viewers would know better, that name as well is inaccurate. It was kind of like a derogatory term yeah, used derog- now. It was derogatory. Yeah. Used on the Syrians that belong to the church of the East. That's right. Um, and so if we're going to use sectarian names, we'll be uniform with it. On, on the name thing, you know, we want to include people, right? Yeah. Because we're one. Yeah. And the other side of the coin is that by having our view that we will exclude people that still believe that they identify as Chaldean... It's, you know, it's a little bit like what we're seeing in, in the Anglosphere now about gender, you know, gender theory and yeah. people identifying themselves as genders and, you know, you are what you identify yourself as and, and yep. whatnot. It's a bit like that. And if you identify yourself as Chaldean, there's a reason to, to respect that because that's what you self-identify as. That's correct. And you can't force people to say or to identify as something that they don't believe that they are. Right. But by the same token, from an Assyrian national cause point of view, yeah, we shouldn't go in and bite in into this sectarianism. I mean, if someone wants to call themselves and identify as Chaldean, we shouldn't shun someone for doing that. Um, I mean, if someone wants to identify as that, that's what they want to identify as. But as a national, as national organizations, we shouldn't encourage the trinaim and the separation on sectarian lines. Uh-huh. What we should be doing is have that one name Assyrian that. We know it's factually correct. Yes. Right? We know there's a lot of history behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a name that people from all the churches use, right? You will never find someone from the Church of the East or the Syriac Orthodox Church, for example, say the Chaldean. You will never find someone from the Chaldean Catholic Church or the Church of the East say the Aramean. Mm-hmm. But you'll find people from all the churches say they're Assyrian. Yeah. So if we're talking about- At least about, some of them. At least some of them. So it's the mutual name that we have, probably the most used name in our whole nation. That's a really good point. No one's ever mm. put that to me. So just I mean, based it's, on it's that, it's clear as day. If we're talking about inclusiveness, right. well, that's the most inclusive name because it's the most mutually agreed upon name. Yeah, and it's a name that relates to Assyria, a homeland. Uh-huh. Like Cal, if you say you're Chaldean, well, your homeland corresponds to South Iraq, for example. Yeah, which is not where we live. It's not where we're from. If we're just basing on those facts, then Assyrian is the most suitable name for our people. Right. Right, Suraya, Suryoye, Suroye, the most you'd say legitimate name for our people is Assyrian. And we may have Aramean ancestry, we may have Babylonian ancestry. Hell, I might even have Kurdish ancestry. You never know. Mm. I mean, my dad's side was surrounded by Kurds. Mm-hmm. So you never know if there was a Kurd that became Christian because there were Kurds that were Christians. Mm-hmm. I could have Persian ancestry and whatnot, but the, the fact is that we're Assyrian. That's our national identity. Right. And so we just kind of have to understand that and really treat everyone irrespective of what they call themselves mm-hmm. as your fellow people. That's right. And that's really important. And I think I think that's missing from the debate. People who are so fervent about saying, oh, we're all Assyrian, you know, in the process of trying to include everyone else actually excludes them. That's right. Yeah. And they people get upset. And I can understand why you would get upset at someone not identifying as Assyrian. But by the same time, if they're your people you truly care about them, you'll do your best to let them know that you see them as one of your own. Right. And I think that's a much more uh, efficient way or effective way of getting our people together 
than shouting down at someone and saying, you're not Chaldean, you're a Syrian, or you're not Aramean, you're a Syrian. Because so, 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 I'm right, you're wrong. Mm. You have members? Uh, from all denominations, yeah. yes. Yeah. So we've got people um, from literally all the churches, Syriac Orthodox Church, the Chaldean Catholic Church. I'm personally from the Syrian Church of the East. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing is we're all under one united umbrella. Mm-hmm. And each person, we've got people involved in their respective youth groups as well, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That you can be involved and passionate about your own faith, mm. but also involved in your nation and mm-hmm. you respect people from other denominations. I, I, I respect that a lot about our members yep. that belong to those different denominations and kind of put it aside that one might be Catholic, one might be Orthodox, one might be a Syrian apostolic, but they all respect each other when it comes mm. to being a Syrian and they can have their own personal religious views. You're so young and you're so patriotic. Yeah. What got it into your blood? I think, <laughs> well, you can see from my name as well, it's Barsin, right? Barsin. So the meaning is Brunet Alahatsara or the son of the god Sin, mm. right? And my dad intentionally gave me this name as well as, as he did with my siblings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew he, my dad's been here since the seventies, right in Australia. So he's been there earlier than ninety percent of Assyrians have lived here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could have easily assimilated and called myself. Gave you myself, could have been Shane. I could have been Shane or Lachlan, or <laughs> he could have given me a Australian name. But yeah. he decided to give me an Assyrian name intentionally, and he gave all my siblings Assyrian names. Mm-hmm. He did it intentionally because he wanted us to remember our heritage. Mm-hmm. And like you as well, your name's Ninos. Mm-hmm. You grew up here in Australia at a my much... My sibling, my sister's got an Assyrian name as well. Yeah, and you grew up in a much earlier time where it was, I believe, much more difficult to be uh, an ethnic in Australia. Yeah. So, um, obviously, I had it a bit easier than you relatively. Um, but the intention was to make sure we remember our heritage and that, it, like, you look back at your name, people would ask, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And I loved it because it was unique. It was unique. I didn't have a name like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of... Did people make fun of you? I've always, yeah, of course. What do they call you? Um, I can't even remember, honestly. But people were trying to make fun of it. Call me... A lot of people call me like Bassam, for example. <laughs> oh, no. So I'd, a lot of Arabs would think I'm a Bassam. Bassam. Yeah, Bassam. Um, and that was like, typically a lot of Arabs would mix that up with Barsin. And even Aussies would just think I was Arab. But I think once you explained it, they would kind of appreciate it. A lot of non-Assyrians appreciated that my dad gave me this name. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important. So even naming your kids, giving them Assyrian names, giving them unique names. Um, it's part of their identity. Yeah. And I think from there, my dad was also involved in the political scene. Mm-hmm. In Australia, he was involved in the Benaharan Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. He was quite involved politically in the opposition to, to Saddam Hussein. Um, and so kind of from there, I think I saw that growing up and he kind of instilled that love for Syria mm-hmm. um, and especially going back on the denominations like my both my parents raised me around people from other denominations like my my mom was is a Syrian church of the East as well she used to go to Chaldean Catholic Mass when she would study in Mosul for example mm-hmm. all our family friends were like Dohoknai for example or mm-hmm. Zahonaya so we growing up I never really knew the differences in denominations mm-hmm. even between the ancient church of the east and the Assyrian church of the east I just thought ancient mean that meant the church was actually older mm. it was an ancient church which when I grew older I realized it wasn't actually <laughs> older yeah. yeah kind of growing up I got instilled that love for all Assyrians regardless of denomination yeah and I think it kind of triggered 
during the invasion of ISIS in 2014. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of triggered me to get a bit more involved and aware. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, it was kind of dormant. It was kind of instilled in me, but I didn't really. How did you much. say? How did you satiate your passion? Your <clears throat> when, when you're you were triggered, right? Yeah. Were you angry? Definitely, yeah. I was, I was very mad. I was very mad, and I, I won't even go into kind of the, like the passion and thoughts that I was having. Of course. Um, but imagine a young fifteen-year-old. There were young fifteen-year-olds joining ISIS from Australia, um, extremists going over to fight. Yeah. And I was pretty much the equivalent for an Assyrian nationalist. Mm-hmm. I was that triggered by it, and obviously upset at what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what way could I help my people? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I grew older, I love sports. I love soccer. Um, growing up playing it and I never played around the Syrians I was always playing in an Italian club mm-hmm. the local Italian club as soon as I hit um, 18 I got involved in the local Syrian club Fairfield Bulls Fairfield Bulls football club mm-hmm. and they've been here for a long time even playing semi-professional in Australia playing mm-hmm. the highest level and so I got involved in that and that was kind of my first introduction to really the Assyrian cause through sports yeah and then from there, I've always had an interest in obviously being at uni in the academic side, in the activist side. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I got involved in the Student Association. Who would be your two influences intellectually or who, who, what two people do you think would have shaped your beliefs, your nationalism? Number one would definitely be my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone even comes close to influencing me like my dad does. Mm-hmm. I think for his age as well, is quite revolutionary forward thinking mm-hmm. they don't typically see in um in uh older assyrians mm-hmm. my dad's in his 60s but his mindset is probably more forward thinking than a lot of assyrians in their 20s mm-hmm. um, unfortunately i see that yeah which shouldn't be the case unfortunately i see that i see young people much more backward thinking than older people in our community yeah. which really is I have my view on that, but I see it and it's really regretful. It's a pattern and I've seen it as well within my generation. Um, Really, we're lacking critical thinkers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of just, we listen to the beliefs of our our parents' generation. Yeah. Um, Say, for example, even with Kurds, like I've never lived amongst Kurds. I never grew up in Assyria. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how it is growing up with them. And a lot of Assyrians kind of resent them for the persecution that we've had. Mm. Um, but I've had family, like basically like family, like aunties, I'll call them, mm-hmm. that are Kurdish. My mum's close friends from when she was in university, they're in Germany and Sweden now, and some even still in the Syria. Yeah. And even one knew Assyrian fluently. And I'll talk to them thinking they're my aunties. So, but they were Kurds. But they were Kurds. So they were, my parents, I'm glad that they were a bit more open-minded. Yeah. Um, so they kind of like shifted my perspective. So I wasn't really that nationalist that hated everyone or that person that was just the Syrians first mm. stuff everyone else. Um, and I think that's important. So you're saying that your nationalism was a firm anchor of your identity and it wasn't negative for you? Definitely, yeah. Because very people positive. associate nationalism with negative. Yeah, they see it as hating on other groups right. or persecuting other groups for your benefit. And I don't think that's necessarily so. I think nationalism is improving your own people's kind of lives through like obviously going for a country or improving their lives in the diaspora, for example, building up your culture. There are times when it becomes negative when people have kind of shifted it out of its true direction. Mm-hmm. And I think if you love your people, you will not hate others. So in the sense that 
Typically, you find a lot of Assyrians are anti-Kurd, mm-hmm. anti-Arab, anti-Turkish, mm-hmm. anti-Muslim, mm-hmm. before they are pro-Assyrian. So, what we have to be is pro-Assyrian first, pro-Assyrian second, pro-Assyrian third, and pro-Assyrian fourth. Yeah. We should be pro-Assyrian. We shouldn't hate on other groups. Um, we should just focus on our own cause and improve the livelihoods of our people. Mm. What about writers? Uh, writers? What two writers w- would come to mind as, as being influential for you? Well, one that first comes to mind would definitely be Nino Saho, mm-hmm. the poet. He has a poem called Aturai Khata or The New Assyrian. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to that poem, he's he delivered it at the uh, opening of the Assyrian Genocide Monument in Sydney. Yeah. And it's a powerful... It's a powerful speech because he speaks about us going away from these sectarian lines, kind of going hand in hand with the martyr, the mm-hmm. person that sacrificed themselves for our nation and the people living now mm-hmm. and progressing and building in Assyria. And he says himself as well, like Assyria will rise in 2050. <laughs> وسهدا متوينا ايدا بايدا قد متي اني سطوني قمايد اطر قو اشر ملبد نور امقد ام خوتت قايم البابا الطورة من همزمن دعيوخ شمية أطورايا خاتبريلي قيقرو تدقلب تشني كفنا وصاوى وسني قوثة دقل التاريخ من تقارد نيشة وأمتا ديوم برقلي قسل باند حقوياتي قسل ماند كل أمواتي شلامو إيلي قلو بومبا قسروان زودا إتلي البقرخ بنا إيكي وتمن دنباث الدادي أمرت بجاوب لخ بشاري روت لتيارايا ولتخمنايا لبني دشتا ولبني طورا يعقوبايا وكلدانايا ونسطرنايا وبروسبترايا أبزيليون قال راما بطامر قاتخ أختي إيون أطرايا دخبة خيي مو بتلاوش إيكاد مايت هجلة تخمن كتبر منه بتاثة جوانك بطيني جك وبتمر شرارة لبو بإيدو وكتاوو منه بخداريلة ومكروزيلة بكيان آتر بإيتوت آتر بخيلة ودمة بشمد آشر بماري أنا؟ أنا بريان من قنبيا أي أرأو أها شمشا أنا ويان من قبزونا لتلي موتا لتلي رمشا أنا إيوان كخوات آتر قوبة نهرين بلبو سيوان أنا إيوان الله آشر قغلة دوري بخدوريوان أنا إيوان شراية بحرة العلمتي والمنهوريوان مجدد يوم أنا لتن نيخب نيخب تلاقيون لا والبايد لا أطر بيشة وزونة بشاتق أطر بيشة وتاريخ بساغت أطر بيشة وبرج بياسة أطر بيشة وهجلة بلا So 
it's very important that we think about this. We have a goal where after Assyria, we have to stop thinking that we don't have our own homeland. Assyria has existed from the ancient times and it's continued to exist up until the 7th century AD, right? So we had Ashurastan was the last kind of Assyrian province that we had. So we've always, we've had autonomy up until then. We've even had kind of informal autonomy in the Hakari Mountains, for example, where our people kind of took care of their own. So we should kind of, we should always aim to Assyria, aim for our homeland, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously improve the diaspora so we can focus and focus our resources in our direction towards our own homeland. Yep. And also probably a second writer or a person with an ideological thought that I was influenced by was Afram Yakub in Sweden. Um, he's got the book, The Path to Assyria. And that, I interviewed him. You've interviewed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great interview. And his, his thoughts take responsibility for our nation, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of Assyrians trying to palm off what's happened to us on other groups. And that very well might, might be the case, right? We've been persecuted um, for our ethnicity, for our faith and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, we can take responsibility for a few things that's in our control, right? And he speaks about it in his book and it's powerful. I think a lot of people look over a lot of lines, right? But it's very important. Like he diagnoses the problems in our nation. He's not an uncontroversial author. He's got a, particularly in Sweden and Europe, uh, when I interviewed him, I did have some uh, feedback and it wasn't all glowing. Yeah. And I noted that at the time. But when I read through it, when I went, when I read through the book, you'd have to take the argument prima facie and say, well, yeah, we shouldn't be relying on other people. Yeah, definitely. And regardless of opinions that others have had, if you look at the actual thought behind the book, um, I think that's the most important part. Read the book for what it is. Read the thought, the message it's getting through. It, it definitely, to me, it correlated a lot with what I was thinking. It was kind of articulately put in one small book um and it's kind of like a manifesto it's a very short read it's a very short read um but it's every page is quality that's what i'll say so definitely him and ninos aho have been very influential on um my nationalism for example and that's kind of shaped the way that i've put forward my effort in these organizations such as the students association i want to talk about the homeland we talk about and i notice it now that I've seen the change in Assyrian nationalism in Australia. I've seen it move from what was welfare for Assyrians arriving and setting up infrastructure here. And now I've seen it change, particularly among young people, people like yourself. I've seen it change toward focus on Atra. Yeah. I've seen Assyrian nationalism move away from taking care of Assyrians here to taking care of Assyrians in Atra. Yep, in Assyria, in Atur. Do you have thoughts about that? Yep, so probably a um, controversial opinion some might see is that I believe we should be directing all our efforts to keeping our people in our homeland, but supporting them to stay there, right? So that's through basic necessities like food and water, Mm -hmm. infrastructure, um, security, kind of the basic needs, right? Um, And you look at that chart that has those basic needs, that pyramid. 
Uh, Maslow's hierarchy Maslow's, of sorry, needs. yeah. His hierarchy of needs and it shows like basic food and water yeah. is one of the primal necessities and yeah. then security, for example. And we're lacking that in Assyria. Um, and until we can govern ourselves, we'll never be able to confirm and kind of guarantee that we will have those necessities. Mm-hmm. Because so long as we're under the thumb of other people, they can do what they want to us at will. Yeah. But by the same token, we have to understand that we have to live with these people. We've lived amongst them for centuries, right? And that you will not just live around Assyrians or around fellow Christians. Um, you will live around other groups. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we put forth our cause and ensure that we protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there should be this emphasis on kind of focusing on the Syria, focusing on our homeland, helping people stay rather than leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people, it's inevitable. They were gone through a lot and they had to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's understandable, but by the same token, we shouldn't get people and encourage people to leave at a faster rate. Mm -hmm. We should be trying to help people stay in the homeland that they've grown up in. Because what I've found, and maybe you've seen it as well, Ninos, uh, when I've spoken to a lot of Assyrians, they've hated it here. A lot of Assyrians have come over, they've actually hated living here a lot. Lately, I've noticed that. Only in the last last five, six years, not beyond that. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's cultural. I think the West is not what it used to be culturally. So I, I think once upon a time, particularly in the 70s and 80s, uh, when we still had a welfare state uh, and we still had more or less full employment, you'd have a job and because a welfare net, you'd have social security, you'd have at least not in the US, but in Australia and Europe, and in the UK, you'd have free education, healthcare, yeah. all these things, social security that's important to raise a family. And it was seen as a, a safe and stable place to raise a family. And that was the, the lure, absolutely, for millions of families. Yeah. Today, uh, economically, it's more insecure. Work is insecure. Uh, work is casual. Uh, there's no real, you know, workers, high cost of living. Workers' rights have been eroded. Uh, the social uh, safety net has been eroded. Privatizations, you know, um, healthcare and 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 education. So it, its costs have gone up, and so life wasn't like it was perhaps 20, 30 years ago. So the allure of this society has changed. Furthermore, culturally, I think we've moved beyond uh, a Christian society. Yeah. So it, Australia, certainly Australia, uh, has always been very secular, but the majority of the population had a Christian ethic. Yeah. That's completely gone. That's and, re- reduced and- to the point where I think in the last census it showed that no religion is actually the highest percentage yeah. for religion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a lot of kind of values that our people would typically have that yep. are conflicting. So when you have yeah. the combination of what people call neoliberalism or, or you know, really free market economics um, eroding what was a welfare state combined with culturally a post-Christian society, it'd be very alienating for someone coming from foreign Assyrian. Yeah. It'd be very alienating. Yeah, it is. And a lot don't even, can't even... Um, mingle with other Australians for example they feel like they're outcasts and I understand why if I right this age at 23 years old I decide to move to Iraq Mm -hmm. um, and live amongst other people and not know Arabic and have to learn it um, from scratch Mm -hmm. I'd feel out out of place Mm. right Um, 
And a lot of people from what I've, well, not from who I've spoken to didn't want to even leave. Yeah. Right. Some did, don't get me wrong. Um, and they had their own reasons, but quite a lot didn't want to leave. And they said, I want to stay, but I've got no security. Yeah. Right. And I've, I, like they're thinking about their kids, for example, for themselves. There's no jobs back there. Mm-hmm. My whole mother's side's back there. And they told me the conditions are crap. Yeah. Um, they're treated not even as second-class citizens, as third-class citizens. That's right. So if there's no jobs, no opportunity for you, why would you want to stay there? And then they're seeing all us diaspora Syrians living it up, mm-hmm. traveling, going out to fancy restaurants. And they said, well, they're not living in our homeland. Why should I? Right, um, but if there is a security, if there is some stability, I strongly believe a lot of people would stay, and potentially in the future people would move back. Mm. Right, I've seen quite a lot of um, other ethnic groups where people have actually moved back. I'm sitting here in Australia, but doesn't that really owe to the Assyrian uh, political activity in the homeland in Atra? Partly, yeah. Yes, and because isn't it their responsibility not just for rights of Assyrians, but there's also a responsibility for uh, a material welfare. Yeah, so they they our political parties, from my point of view, mm-hmm. have kind of fallen to the trap of this corrupt system we have, particularly in Iraq. Um, we see a lot of political groups that I sympathise with. Mm-hmm. They've kind of fallen to the trap of being just Christians, falling into that Christian trap, and. But to be fair to them as well, we're relatively minor compared to other groups such as Arabs and Kurds. Mm -hmm. So it is more difficult to kind of push things through the political avenue, but they still bear some responsibility to change things. And I think a lot of things that we could have done could have been done differently. Yeah. And kind of now- what? Well, first part would not have gone through with that Christian quota, Mm -hmm. right? To have never from the start endorsed that. Um, and to also try to get a bit more involved in uh, political movements in Iraq and Syria and Turkey that uh, that could help benefit us. So we're seeing it now in, say, the KRG, this new generation movement. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that? So I don't know too much about it, but from what I've heard, it's a group of Kurds that are opposed to this mafia state run in the KRG, right? So-called mafia state. So-called mafia state. So a lot of people... If or, they've got- or, or other family rule... Yeah, exactly. And it's all political connections as well. You can get away with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's not democratic. Um, a lot of people are suffering from it. So we should be associating with these people that want change that will also benefit us. Because we have to see what's happening in those areas. And uh, not just an Assyrian problem. It's a holistic problem that's happening. Are to those people. Kurdish activists, they're, they're secular? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah. are they also pluralistic in the sense that they recognize that other ethnicities exist in... in I, I haven't seen anything... In their uh, polity? ...specific, but I believe that would be. I know there's also in Iraq, after the opposition protests were happening... Yeah. Uh, Empty Dad, I think it was called, they started, which is kind of a movement of younger people that want to change in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And we should be associating with these movements as well as Assyrians because we're relatively minor compared to these other groups. Yeah. So we should be associating with them and putting forth our ideas as well and supporting them rather than being part of kind of a sectarian system such as the Christian quota seats. Mm-hmm. Just symbolic seats where we have no sway at all. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. And at least then we'd, we'd have a stake, a material stake in the future of the country. That's right. Economically. Yeah. Economic inclusion. Yeah. And if we're not part of these movements, well, if the tide does change and the current people running 
the Kurdistan regional government and the Iraqi government end up being overthrown or switched over, we're not part of that movement that kind of changed, right? Yeah. So we won't be able to have a say in any of these matters. And then would be further alienated and marginalized. That's right. Yeah. Out of our own country. Yeah. Out of our own homelands. That's right. Well, I'll tell you what, that was a great chat. Thanks, Enos. Yeah, it was a great chat. <laughs> that's about all the time we have today. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, Barsin, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Enos. Thanks for, for having joining me. Joining us on the Assyrian podcast. Just Actually, having before the... I go, yep. there's a question. And every single, uh, every single guest has to answer this question. The one question is, if you have one message for our audience, what would it be? Put Assyria first. That's all I'll say. Put Assyria first. Devote all our energy towards that goal of reclaiming Assyria. Um, and be forefront with your, with your ethnicity and your ideology, right? Don't just play the trap and say you're an Iraqi Christian or belittle your nationhood. Go after it, right? Just as every other ethnicity that we've seen, they go after their national aspirations. We have to go after ours as well. Um, and if you have that love for Assyria first, no matter what happens, we'll, we'll proceed and succeed because that love comes first before anything, before ego, before personal glory. It's Assyria first. Barasin, thanks a lot. Thanks, Dinos. Thanks for coming today. And there completes episode 175 of the Assyrian podcast with Barsin Oshana. Hope you enjoyed our chat while browsing our store, of course. <laughs> Coming up for episode 176, we go intergalactic with Steve. I am looking forward to it. Take care and cheers. Shlama.